This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hello, friends. I'm so excited that we are on the home stretch to returning to in-person services on Easter, outdoor gatherings. It's going to be so good to be able to see each other in person. And for those of you that aren't ready yet to take that step, of course, we're going to be streaming out the service so you can still be a part of it with us, even from the distance of a camera lens. But man, it's been a whole year that we've been figuring out how to do church together like this in a digital way, and I'm so excited to come back together. There's just something really powerful that happens when we get to be church in context with one another. And and yes, the church is so much more than the building. The church is not a place, but that building is our home where we get to gather and experience the things God wants to do in our midst and celebrate the life Jesus has given us and share it with people around us. See, I think church is kind of like throwing a party. And it's a fun thing to get to be a part of. When I was an intern, about 20 years old, working my way through school, I got to work at the church I had grown up in as a teenager. And it was such a great time in my life of learning the ropes of ministry and preparing to become a pastor. And, and so one day I'm, I'm, I'm on the campus and it's a Saturday and we're getting stuff ready for this huge party we're going to throw for our middle school students. And I'm out working in the patio. I got the sound system up. I've got my music just blasting real loud and, and just kind of focused on doing my thing. And then I see him out of the corner of my eye. And I know who he is. He's an older dude in our church, and he comes out on the weekends and just helps get the grounds ready, takes care of the property. And what struck me as I saw him out of the corner of my eye was was the haste and urgency with which he was approaching me, like fast speed coming up to me really quickly. And and I can just tell as I'm looking at him, like something's off. Like, oh no, maybe there's there's like like I, I hit a sprinkler or something. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But he comes up full speed and doesn't even say hello or anything. He gets in my face and he says, you can't play that music here. And I was like taken back for a minute and I realized, oh, maybe, maybe he just doesn't recognize me. He thinks I'm just some random person who showed up to throw a DJ party by himself. I don't, I don't know. And so I'm like, oh no, man, it's, it's okay. Like I'm, I'm Joel, I'm one of the staff here at our church and I'm just getting ready for this party we're throwing for our middle school students. And he doesn't miss a beat. He just says, I don't care who you are. You can't play that music here. And, and I'm starting to realize, like, oh, maybe he's getting hung up on the music. Like, I, I think I was playing, like, U2 or something. And, and so I'm just, like, my mind's spinning fast. And I'm like, oh, oh no, 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 it's okay. Bono's a Christian. <laughs> maybe. I don't know, right? But, like, I'm just throwing out a bone, trying to, to make, make a movement of peace towards this moment. And, and he just kind of looks at me and goes, that's not Christian music. And I'm like, like no, hey, I, I think you need to talk with one of our pastors because... I'm supposed to be here. And he just pauses and he looks at me and he's like, well then turn it down and storms off. And I just was caught off guard in that moment. Like what? Like if anything, I would have thought he was coming up saying, hey, can I help throw the party for these middle school students? This is going to be awesome. But, but apparently he had a very specific understanding of what church was supposed to look like. Apparently for him, church was supposed to look like this. Like some dude sitting all by himself in an empty building. That does not look fun to me. 
And I think what's amazing is that whenever we see Jesus describing his church and, and talking about his movement to his first followers, it never looked like that. Like, like Jesus said to his first followers that, that he was going to build his church, his church would be them, and, and that the gates of hell would not overcome his church. That, that, that the, the movement of Jesus, his church was meant to be a people chasing after him, living on mission together, overcoming the darkness and the powers of evil in our world. When Jesus talks about his church, it's like, listen, go and bring the goodness of who I am to the world around me. Wherever hell sets up shop, Jesus' church is meant to move in and proclaim freedom and life and hope and the goodness and love of God in those places. That's what it's supposed to look like. I think in Jesus' mind, church was supposed to be like a party being thrown for people. And you see this in Jesus' life. Like he was constantly hanging out with people. He would be doing some amazing teachings and people were drawn to him and they would invite him to come and hang out with them. And oftentimes Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd in his day. See, I think for Jesus, church would look like a party where you're celebrating the life he's offering people. And he was bringing freedom and life and hope to anyone and everyone. And we know that Jesus liked a good party because his very first miracle was at a wedding and they ran out of wine. And so Jesus, is, Jesus made wine to celebrate at this party, this wedding festival. And it was the good stuff, not the stuff that comes in a box. Like he made really good wine. And so if we're going to chase after this life that Jesus has for us, if we're going to step into this new life that he's offering us, I, I don't think we should be surprised if not everyone is going to like it. And I don't simply mean people out there that, that don't want anything to do with the idea of God. Like, yeah, there will be people out there that don't like the message of Jesus because they just, they, they'll reject it. But I mean, don't be surprised if there will be people on the inside who are supposed to be on the same team with us, who won't always like what's going on. And often the reason why is because they've gotten tangled up in their religiousness. We, we see this happening in the life of Jesus with, with the religious establishment and the elite in his own day, that he tangled with them often about this. He kept running into those who were stuck, stuck in their religiosity. We, we see this happen in a story that Luke records in the life of Jesus and his account of Jesus' life. And, and Luke tells us this encounter Jesus has in Luke 15. We read this. We're told that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Like, oh, the scandal, Jesus. How dare you hang out with those people? And interestingly enough, this never really seemed to bother Jesus. Like, Jesus wasn't put off by the brokenness and messiness of people. Because that's why he came for us. I mean, Jesus said, this is my mission. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, being broken, having mess in your story, it's kind of like a prerequisite to following Jesus. Like if you've got your life all put together, that there's no no problems, you don't need any help. I 
I'm not sure what you would be looking for when it comes to Jesus. Except that maybe you are. Maybe you are looking for something because you know something's just not right. Something's off. I get that. It's the same for me. Like, I know I need help, and and I'm so grateful that Jesus offers us help and hope and love and forgiveness because he's so good to us. But see, not everyone will get that, and not everyone will like that. Not everyone will be cool with that, just like in Jesus' day. See, he was hanging out with these tax collectors and other notorious sinners who came to hear him teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. Actually, he tells three stories, trying to help this group of people understand God's heart for the lost and hurting and broken people. And so the first story is the story of a lost sheep. He, he tells the story of a, a shepherd who had 99 sheep, but he lost one. And, and so he leaves the 99 in safe pasture and he goes and into the wilderness to find the lost sheep. And he finds that sheep, he picks it up and he carries it back home and throws a huge party to celebrate that his lost sheep was found. And, and then Jesus tells a second story of a woman who had 10 coins and, and she lost one coin. And so she tears her house apart looking for this coin. And when she finally finds the coin, she wants to celebrate. So she tells all her neighbors, I I found my lost coin. Let's have a party. See, Jesus is trying to help us understand that God's heart is for the people who have walked away from him, who are lost and broken and hurting. And he wants them to come home. And when someone comes home, God wants to throw a party. And so then Jesus tells the third story. This is one of his more famous stories. And And we've come to call it the prodigal son. I'm not sure that's the right name for the story, but it's just what we've come to call it. And so this is the story. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And catch that. He's talking to the religious people standing on the sidelines with their arms crossed. He's telling them this story. He says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So now this would have been so much more than just rude, especially in the culture in this day, because you don't inherit stuff from your father until your father dies. And basically this would have been so scandalous, it would have shocked the crowd in Jesus' day when he told him. Essentially what the younger son is, I want your stuff, you're dead to me. Screw you, dad. I mean, that's what he's saying to his father in the story. So now as Jesus goes on to explain what this younger son does, don't forget that there are two sons in this story. So a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And so in a very short amount of time, this guy goes from living large to rock bottom. I mean, working on a farm feeding pigs was about as low as you could get for a Jew living in the first century. 
And have you ever hit rock bottom in your own life, in your own story? It's a terrible place to be. It's not fun, is it? And yet the incredible thing about rock bottom is that that's often the place where we finally begin to wake up. And that's what's going on with this guy. And so Jesus goes on and he says, when he, when this younger son finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired hands, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he prepares this grand speech. He's getting ready to grovel and be penitent and, and in hopes of regaining some of the bits and scraps of what he squandered and gave up. Like, if I could just be a servant, it's better off than where I'm at right now. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And I love this. Like, like dad sees him coming at a distance, and, and instead of slamming the door, drawing the curtains, turning off the lights, saying, forget you, dad rushes out to greet him, and he wraps him up in a huge hug. And, and his son was not prepared for this, so he, he goes on with the speech he's prepared So his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he starts this big repentance speech that he had prepared. But before he can even get through it, dad just interrupts. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but he has now been found. So the party began. And I love that. Like That's so unexpected. He's coming in to say, I'm sorry, and grovel, and hope to get some scraps. And dad's like, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. You're home. Let's throw a party. And so you don't need to be a Bible scholar to grasp who the players are in the story that Jesus is telling. Like the younger son represents all those disreputable sinners that Jesus has been hanging out with. And the dad, the dad's God, wanting to invite home the lost and broken in Jesus' day. And the point that Jesus is driving home is that God's response to people who have wronged him is different. Like, so incredibly different than what everyone would have expected. Like, like the people, to people who have said to God, screw you, it's my life, I'm going to live it my way, you have no say in what's going on, and then have walked away from God into brokenness and into pain and into hurt, and they're starting to come to their senses, and yet they're wondering can I come to God? What will happen? What will happen? Am I, am I going to be okay or am I screwed? To people who are coming to their senses, God's response is not thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. <laughs> no, God's response is welcome home. Let's throw a party. And I've met so many people over the years that 
I've gotten the privilege of knowing that in their story, in their journey, when, when they were starting to wake up and wondering if they, there was hope of a God who could love them and, and do something new in their life, they were scared to death to want to come to where a church was meeting. I mean, I've had people say, like, I, I thought when I walked into the building, the place was going to burst into flames. And what I find fascinating about some of these people who are scared to death to show up to church, I would have been scared to death to meet them in a scary place. And I'm thinking, what are you afraid of? But they are. They are because they're scared to show up not knowing what's coming. And so here's what I want to tell you right here, right now. God's not hung up on your past. He's ecstatic about your future. So excited, in fact, that he wants to throw a party because you showed up. And see, the incredible thing about this party that God wants to throw is that every single one of us is invited. Everyone's invited to the party. And we see this because there's more to the story Jesus is telling. Because how many sons are in the story? And to whom is Jesus telling this story? So let's jump back into the story. So meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And so the older brother shows up and there's this ruckus going on and he can hear the party. Because when you're throwing a party, it's kind of loud and, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And so one of the servants lets him know, hey, your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. See, his response, it's not, hooray, my brother's returned. He's come back from whatever broken life he was living. He's stepping back into something new. He's part of the family again. That's not his response. No, his response is like, harumph. What's the deal with this? Yeah, why? Why is he so upset? Well, dad catches wind that his oldest son isn't coming into the party, so he goes out to him. So his father came out and begged him. Catch this, he's begging him. He's begging him to come in and be a part of the party. But he, the older son, replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. He's so upset because he's caught up in bitterness. I mean, he's so bitter, he's bound up in it. And you see this because even though he's claiming to be the good son... There's no joy in his life. And there's no real enjoyment of his relationship with his own father. This is what's going on when we get bound up in religiousness and and trying to please God through our, our efforts and being good versus enjoying that God is good and he's given us new life. One of these books that I've loved is a book called The Prodigal God. It's by an author and pastor named Timothy Keller, and and he's unpacking the story. I highly recommend this book, The Prodigal God. Fascinating, incredible book. But Timothy Keller, he pinpoints this whole notion of what's going on with the older brother and what it can 
look like when we're making that mistake. And so he writes this rather poignant and somewhat painful observation. Keller writes this. He says, Elder brothers may do good to others, but not out of delight in the deeds themselves or for the love of people or the pleasure of God. They're not really feeding the hungry and clothing the poor. They're feeding and clothing themselves. The heart's fundamental self-centeredness is not kept intact, but nurtured by fear-based moralism. This can and does erupt in shocking ways. Like, why do you think so many churches are plagued with gossip and fighting? Underneath the seeming unselfishness is great self-centeredness. Wow. And it, Dad is so good. Dad is so good even to bitter killjoys who want to call the cops on the party because Dad's not giving up on his older son. That's why he's going out to him, inviting him to the party. So his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, always stayed by my side, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And then Jesus ends the story. It just ends abruptly, just like that. And we're all waiting with bated breath, wondering what's this guy going to do? And so is Jesus. He's waiting, wondering what they are going to do. This group that he's telling the story to, because who's Jesus telling the story to? And why is he telling it to them? It's because he wants them to catch God's heart. The very reason he came into this world in the first place, Jesus shows up to rescue us out of brokenness and bring us into life. And See, even though Jesus and this religious group, this, this bunch of respectable sinners, clashed again and again, you see this over the course of Jesus' life, Jesus is still reaching out to them just like he reaches out to every single one of us. And he's wanting them to understand that dad's doing something really cool. He's throwing a party because lost people are returning. They're finding new life again. And you're invited to be a part of it. But they're missing it. They're missing it. And see the real tragedy about the older brother is that even though he is his father's son, he doesn't share his father's heart. And see, that should cause each of us who claim we belong, who believe we belong to God, believe we belong to Jesus, to ask ourselves an important question. Whose heart do we have? Do we have dad's heart? And so is your heart beating in rhythm with dad's heart? Or do you got some arrhythmia today? Like is your heart off a few beats? Maybe because you're bound up in your own kind of bitterness. Whatever that might look like. And see, I can tell whenever religiousness gets, gets a hold of me or gets into my story, gets a hold of my heart, because bitterness starts to show up. It starts to leak out of me. 
And, and I can tell the same thing for someone else because the same thing begins to happen for them. And, and it turns us into something ugly instead of being a part of the beautiful thing God wants to do in our story and in the stories of other people. And we start to become critics instead of being party people celebrating the things God is doing. Instead of celebrating what God is up to and, and what he's inviting us to step into and be a part of with him, we become critics. Like we become critical of other people and their mess and their brokenness. And we just start to point the finger and go, rah. And we can even become critical of our own churches and their attempts to reach people that are lost and broken because we don't like what they're doing. It's too loud or it's too messy or whatever it is. And when we do that, we make the mistake of the older brother who's completely missing his father's heart. And see, Jesus tells the story so we would see God's heart for the lost and broken and hurting people all around us. And we would clue in that dad is throwing a party for those who are looking to come home and we're all invited to the party. We're all invited to join in and help throw the party. And so what would it look like? What, what could it look like if we chose to join in and help throw the party? I mean, what do you think it could look like when each of us decides that we're not just going to show up on any given Sunday, but instead we're all saying, where can I step up and help make this happen? See, as we're re-emerging out of COVID, we're going to get the opportunity to start throwing a party every single week once again. As we show up to be church together there's going to be opportunities all around us to celebrate what God's doing, not just in our stories, but in the stories of other people. And so my question for you is, how are you going to help throw the party? See, the reason we give to our church is to help throw the party. We don't give out of some sense of religious duty or obligation we give so that we can collectively take what we have and throw a better party than what any of us could do individually on our own. When Christy and I give every single month to New Life, it's because we want to be a part of throwing the party. And the party costs money, but we want to be in on it. Why do you give? Or have you ever even thought that the reason you give is because you're helping make the party happen? Or maybe another way we throw the party or you could throw the party is by helping to serve at the party. Hey, as we step back into regular Sunday mornings, we need to rebuild all sorts of teams that are working together, rolling up our sleeves, making it happen. From making people feel welcome and warm and loved the minute they show up on our property at the parking lot to helping create the service from behind the scenes to leading up front, all sorts of things. But every single one of us that show up to throw the party, we're doing it because we know that this is going to make a difference in someone's life. But it's not just what happens on Sunday. We want to fan the flame of dad's heart in every single one of us. And so one of the ways that we help throw that party and develop a, a heart for that is, is by walking together in relationship throughout the week beyond the building of the, the, the walls of the building. See, we do small groups together as a church. Again, not to just have a social club, 
We do those to encourage each other and to fan the flame of what God's doing in each of our stories. So we'll wake up more and more to what he has for us collectively as a church and as individuals living on mission with Jesus wherever we go. And see, one of the ways that we throw the party is by funding the party, serving at the party, walking together to fan the flame of what God's doing in in our, our lives as a church. But then another way that we get ready to throw the party is what's by living as the church beyond the walls of the building wherever we're at. It's investing our lives. It's you investing your life in your friends and coworkers and in your community so that as you're living in context with other people, they begin to see a glimpse of dad's heart in you. And long before you ever say the name of Jesus, they've already experienced him because of how you've been loving them. And see, church, church is us, but it's not simply about us. It's about what we're helping to create for others. And when we're doing that together, we're reflecting God's heart, God's heart for all of us. And see, that's what I find so amazing about the story that Jesus tells. is that God is throwing a party and everyone is invited. See, Jesus shows us how dad goes out of his way to meet both of his kids. See, he goes out of his way to the younger son, his younger son as he's limping home. And and he says, welcome home. I've been waiting for you to show up. I've missed you. Let's throw a party. You made it. And dad goes out to his older son and invites him to the party as well. Even as he's bound up in his bitterness, dad is reaching out to him. Hey, this party's for you to be a part of too. Everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. I've always been with you. But do you get me? Do you really get who I am? Do you know me? Do you know that my heart is for you? My heart is for your brother. My heart is for everyone. So won't you join me in what I'm doing? Won't you join me in throwing the party? Because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So new life. What kind of church are we going to be as we come out of COVID together? And my hope and my prayer is that we're a party people church. That we're a church that throws parties every single week because we're celebrating what God is doing, not just in our stories, but in the stories of other people around us. See, when we show up on any given Sunday, that's somebody's homecoming. And when we throw the party together, we get to say, welcome home. So let's be a party people church. And let's celebrate the returning of those who have yet to find Jesus. And so Jesus, thank you that you come into each of our stories to to lead us into life with you. That that you have so much more for us than what this world could ever offer. And, And if we will just look to you and say, yes, we get to experience that life with you. And then you bring us on your team and you huddle us up and you say, okay, 
there's more people to invite to the party. And so give us a heart like yours. Give us eyes to see what you're up to in the relationships around us. And give us courage to step in and live in context with people in our city so that they will see you in us. Hey, New Life, I can't wait to start throwing the party with you at Easter. The days are coming up real fast, so let's get ready. God's on the move. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.